You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So a number of you were at our community Christmas party this last weekend, and um, you saw one of my friends and one of our own running around there with one of these light-up Christmas light necklaces. His name is Jeff Norris, and you'll see him in the Advent Community Christmas Party video that we'll show in just a bit. And as I saw this necklace once again this year, because he wore it last year, I said, Jeff, that is so, he just looks so funny all dressed up and everything. He said, that's just so cool. I love that necklace. He said, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know what? If I ever had a necklace like that, I'd wear it. He said, no, you wouldn't. And I said, yeah, I would. Well, guess what appeared on my porch last night? And so I texted Jeff and I said, really? Is this from you? And he said, yep. And you're going to be a man of your word, right? And I said, okay, I will be a man of my word. So here you go. There you have it. All right. For the record. For the record. All right, knock it off. Okay. I love Christmas time for a number of reasons. And of course, one of the gifts that we get to celebrate, the greatest gift, is Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. But in reflection of God's gift to us, we exchange gifts. And who doesn't like to receive presents or to get presents? Love to give them, love to receive them, at least uh, most of them. So... With that being said, we have really titled this series around the reality of the gifts of Christmas. What are those gifts that we get uniquely through Jesus? And we started this series, for those of you who may have missed this, last week when Matt Patrick took us through Matthew chapter 1, the verse 16 verses of that chapter, which really talks about a genealogy. It traces the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And we looked at the reality that that genealogy, even being a genealogy, has a tremendous amount of hope for us. And biblical hope is very different than how our culture tends to define hope. In fact, for some of us, maybe a number of us, hope, really, when we get right down to it, is more about what might happen. But biblical hope is always an expectation that something is going to happen. And specifically, biblical hope is the hope in a God who always does what he says he will do. And so we don't have hope that something might happen. We have hope from the standpoint of this is going to happen and it will happen. And therefore, we're going to trust God accordingly. Because our hope is sourced in who he is and what he does. So with that in mind, is that the kind of hope you have with your faith? When it comes to hope in your life, is your hope the hope of, well, that might happen? Or is your hope the hope of this will happen? There is a certainty to this. I expect this to happen because of my God, because of who he is, and what he's done, and what he's, what he's going to do. And that kind of hope is accessible to us. 
You really can have this kind of hope in your life, and so can I. But it's not about a formula. We're not here to give you a one, two, three step to, to having this kind of faith, to having this kind of hope. But it is a hope that is built on the foundation of the character and promises of God, and it starts with knowing this God. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him and experiencing Him in your life. So when we talk about and when we sing these songs like we just sung of Jesus being our Savior, what does that really mean? And what difference does that really make in our lives? That's exactly where we're going here this morning. Is what is this gift of salvation really all about? So once again, if you have a Bible with you on your phone or on your tablet or a hard copy Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week with the passage that Matt did for us. I'll put it up on the screen here for you, for those of you who don't have a Bible. But this is where we left off last week. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to to the Messiah, and I strongly encourage you, if you did not hear last week's sermon, go podcast it or download it from our website and listen to it because it really sets the foundation for where we're going to go from here because now Matthew in this gospel is going to show why Jesus is the Messiah, why he is the chosen one, why he is the promised one, and now we enter the Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So let's begin to work our way back through that passage. And I, I love how this is written because it really captures the incredible uniqueness of what's going on here. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And what Matthew is doing is once again he is underscoring the ground we covered last week in the genealogy that Matt took us through. That Jacob, or rather Joseph, is the legal father of Jesus, but Mary is the biological mother. So who's the dad? Well, God. Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. And in the way this is written is, is amusing to me. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, I'll be darned, she's pregnant. How'd that happen? Now, Let's enter the story a little bit. Can you imagine any woman, and ladies, put yourself in this place, you're pregnant and you're going around telling people, yeah, God made me pregnant. How well would that go over? Who is going to believe you? Who's going to believe a story like that? And we chuckle at that, but imagine what this meant in first century 
world. Remember, this is an honor-shame culture where what keeps you up at night is anything that you would say or do that would bring shame upon yourself, shame upon your family, and shame upon your community. And by situationally what has happened here, in most people's eyes, Mary has done all three. She has shamed herself, she has shamed her family, she has shamed her community. And people back then were just as good at math as we are today. Because they would look at Mary and say, well, it must be a honeymoon baby. Well, well, wait a minute. There was no honeymoon. She's not married. What is going on here? God made you pregnant? Seriously? Really? And now Joseph is put in an incredibly difficult place. He's got two options. The first option is that he can clear his name And he can accuse Mary of adultery, which in turn will put her very life at risk. In Deuteronomy 22 in the Old Testament, it says that any woman caught in adultery was to be stoned, was to be put to death. It actually puts Joseph's life on the line as well. His name will be cleared, but not Mary's. And yes, Mary is one of the most profound examples of faith and trust in God, in the entire Bible. She has to be at at the top of the list of examples of of faith and trust in God. As I was reading through Luke chapter 1, which talks about the angel coming to Mary and telling her, this is going to happen to you, and her making the profoundly trusting, courageous, brave statement, then let it be as you have said. Let it be done to me. With all this is going to mean for her. No one's going to believe her. Her very life may be at risk, yet she's choosing to trust with the angel and really what God has called and told her to do. But let's not forget Joseph because the next option that's available to him is that he can divorce her quietly. And actually, you were considered married when you were pledged to be married in every way except being together as husband and wife and And sleeping together. Otherwise, you were considered to be married, even though you lived apart until the actual ceremony. So there had to be a formal divorce. You couldn't just say, like an engagement, I'm breaking off the engagement. No, 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 no. It was far more binding than an engagement. So his next option was to divorce her quietly, which then takes the stigma and the shame upon him. Because for the rest of his life, people would wonder, what part did you have in that equation? You probably did sleep with Mary. And his faith is to be commended as well. And Matthew goes on in the story here to remind us that this is, this is God's child, legally Joseph, but biologically God's, Mary's. And instead of citing Joseph's immediate dad, he reaches all the way back to Israel's greatest king, King David. And once again, this is a reminder to us that Matthew wasn't just laying out Jesus's pedigree, he was also connecting Jesus to the fulfillment of all the promises that God had made to his people. The promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation, to bless all people through him. The promise to David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel. Matthew's writing this way because he's showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of every single one of those promises. This is the Messiah. This is God's promised son. And therefore, they are told 
to give him the name of Jesus. And this is profoundly unusual because the naming of a baby was the right of parents. And ultimately, it was the father who had the final call. And remember, in the Bible, when you read someone's name, there's always meaning to it. It's more than just a name or a label. It is about someone's identity. It says something about someone's character. Your name describes, at times, your calling, what you're good at, what your potential is, the direction of your life. In fact, there are instances in the Bible where God changes the name of people because there's a change of, of direction in their life. If we jump back to our Genesis series, Genesis 17, which we'll get to when we return to that series in a couple of months, when we get to Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many, because it is that point where God promises Abraham that he will bless all nations ultimately through him and make him into a great nation, so he changes his name to reflect that very reality. Your name said something and meant something profound about you. So what does the name Jesus mean? Well, in Hebrew, it's Joshua, common name for Jewish boys, but we're told what Jesus' name means, and this is what it literally means. The Lord saves, Yahweh saves. He will save his people from their sins. This isn't just about who Jesus is, it's about what he is going to do. He's gonna save everyone from their sins. Well, how's that gonna work? Prove it, and that's exactly what Matthew goes on to do. He reaches back 700 years into Israel's history and he pulls a promise out of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and he quotes it, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He shows that this promise given hundreds and hundreds of years before is now going to be fulfilled in Jesus. This is God coming to seek us. This is what Christmas is all about. And it's amazing because this is the way things were always intended to be. For those of you who have been with us through our Genesis series, as we go back to the very, very beginning of world history and human history, God created this world and God created us to be with him. That has always been his agenda, to be with us for us to know him, for us to have an incredible intimacy and depth of relationship with him. And that goes off the rails when sin and selfishness enter the world. And so God then puts into effect his rescue plan. And the whole story of the Bible is a picture of a God who is getting closer and closer and closer and closer to his people. And now he comes through this baby, Jesus. And human history and world history will end, if you want to read to the end of the book, to the book of Revelation, with us with God. Just like we started out in the very beginning, in a garden, in his presence, fully with him in every possible way the world is redeemed and restored and renewed to what God always intended it to be. And it's, it's amazing. Do you realize there are over 365 prophecies, promises from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ? One for every day of the year. Because this is a God who keeps his promises. And he's coming as our savior. 
So what? I mean, what does that really mean? 24 times through the Old Testament, Jesus is called the Savior, the Savior, the Savior. Well, again, this takes us back to where we were last week, that God comes to real people, not ideal people. You see, empty religion tends to divide the world into the good people and the bad people. And God is coming to be with the good people. Christianity does not do that. The Bible does not do that. It just says there's people. And we all start out in the same place. We're all broken and we all need a Savior. Every single one of us. And the reason we can say that with such certainty, the reason the Bible declares that so unequivocally is because you have a Savior or Saviors already in your life. Every single one of you, including me, before we made Jesus our Savior, for those of us who have done that, we already had functional Saviors in our life. Let's take that for a test drive. What happens in your life and mine when we go head-to-head with a really ugly conflict? What happens when crisis enters your life? What happens when you lose someone? This last week, I was reminded once again of the loss of my my oldest sister. It's been five years now. She passed away on December 4th. Man, I miss her. And quite frankly, every December, I am reminded of her, her absence. And it's a very painful reminder that this is a broken world. And most of us don't really have a problem doing business with that. Just turn on the news. Just pull out your USA Today app on your phone and look at it. This world is broken. That's, for most of us, an easy sell. But the reality is, I'm broken too. It's not just the world. It's me. And it's you. And one of the ways this brokenness comes out in us, this really sinfulness comes out in us, is... We look to things in our life to do things for us that they will never be able to do. I mean, let's take stock for a minute. What are we living for? How many people in our culture live for the weekend? Or they live for the next vacation? What are they expecting from those things? What do we expect from those things? Or even Christmas time now, there are so many of us who, we have this ideal Christmas in our minds. It's going to look like this. Everyone's going to get along. You know, everyone's going to give gifts that are meaningful, and we're not going to be so busy this year. You know, we, we put all these expectations on Christmas. Okay, so what are we really looking for from that? Or let's, let's take this a little deeper. How about your relationships and mine? How about your marriage for those of you who are married? What are you looking for from your spouse? And why do you so desperately want that and need that? And then what happens when your spouse legitimately cannot meet that need? Gosh, another reminder, what am I looking for? Or better yet, let's back up and do kind of a life assessment here. Let's let's go one step back. When you were in grade school, what is it you wanted to be? A middle schooler, right? Right? Until you got to middle school and you realized, I did not sign up for this. You know, I I don't personally believe there's a purgatory. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But if there was, middle school's probably it, right? Who wants to go there, right? Okay. I'm just teasing my Catholic friends there for a minute. But 
in good nature. But really, when you're in middle school then, you want to be in high school. And, you know, high school is really going to be great. You get to high school and you think, well, it's really going to be great when I get my license. And then you get your license and go, well, you know, it's really going to be great when I leave the house, when either I go off to college or I go to work, I become independent, I'm going to be grown up, I'm going to be an adult. And then that happens and you go, boy, okay, well, it's going to be great when I really land my career job or I really get this. And then that happens, assumably, and well, you know, it'd be great for those of you who aspire to be married. It'll be, it'll be great when I get married someday. And then you get married and you go, well, okay. Or you get remarried and you go, okay. And then you think, okay, well, it'd be great to have kids. And so you have kids and then you realize, man, it'd just be great to get four hours of sleep in a row. <laughs> you know, and once you become a parent, you never take your sleep for granted ever again, right? Amen? <laughs> Amen. Okay, but then your kids begin to actually sleep through the night and then they become toddlers and you think, how in the world did I ask for this? And then they become toddlers and then they begin to go to school. Okay, well, it'll be great when they're, when they're young adults and then they become young adults and you realize, man, they have adult-sized problems and I have less control over that. Who thought of this? And then after that, then you get to the empty nest and you go, wow, this is great. Sure wish the kids would come home occasionally, <laughs> right? And some of you, in the last service at least, some people when I said empty nest said, oh no, that's not a problem for us. We like the empty nest, <laughs> you know? Okay, but then what happens after that? And maybe it's retirement, you know, all of us, married, single, whatever, you know, someday you look forward to that day where everything's gonna be just so, you're gonna be retired, you can do everything you want, and then you get to retirement and you go, man, I'm kinda bored, I wish I could go back to work. And all of us at some point are thinking, why, I wish I could have this, I wish I could be that, I wish I could be older. And then you finally get what you think you have always wanted and you actually do become older and you think, gosh, I wish I was young again. <laughs> Those things all have their place. But in our life assessment here, can we step back for a minute and do some real business with this? What are we looking for? Why can't we be content? And there are seasons of contentment to be sure, but apart from Jesus, there's something missing. And you're absolutely right, there is. Because all those things, as wonderful as they are, are not really what we need. Those things are not going to save us. Only Jesus can save us. He is the only true Savior. It says that he saves us from our sins. Sin is often characterized as those things you do or you don't do. And yes, that's true. But sin really is the inclination and bent and focus of our hearts. It's about motives. It's about values. It's about thoughts. It's about apart from Jesus, left to my own, most of the time, I'm going to do what's best for me. And most of the time, I'm going to be self-focused and selfish, and I'm going to make life all about me. It doesn't mean there isn't any good in me, because everybody is made in the image of God, but it does mean that my bent, my inclination, is really going to be, at the end of the day, to make life all about me. And so I steer into that brokenness through a number of ways at times, apart from Jesus. You know, we think, well, if we could just educate people more, they'd make better decisions and there'd be less brokenness. Or, you know, we just need more counseling. If, if I could just really get to the heart of this, then I could begin to change my behavior here. We think, okay, well, well, we'll turn to politics. And this happens all the time. We look for that political savior who's going to just make everything absolutely right. And please understand me, all these things have value. All these things affect change. These are good things, but they will only take us so far. They're not a deep enough change. Only Jesus Christ will change us from the inside out. And knowing Jesus is more than just changing your behavior. It is about him becoming your savior. 
It is about him completely changing you from the inside out. Anything else is not a deep enough change. And this is what makes Christmas and Christianity to many people so offensive. Because Christianity celebrates, Christmas celebrates what we do together for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior celebrates as that he is the only true Savior. And the Bible says this over and over and over again because it's true. In Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So if this is true, and it is, what does it really mean for us? It means that our hope is tangible. It is real. It is not, a well, we hope God might do the things he says he will do. No, it is sourced in the reality that God always does what he says he will do. That's why our hope is an expectation. This is going to happen, not if it will happen, but when it happens. Jesus came. God came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And what we look forward to is he is coming back. And the reason we can say that confidently is because of this. He really did come. After hundreds and thousands of years of saying he would come, he did. And therefore, who Jesus is and what he has done is our story to live out and tell. Matt took us there to some degree last week. This is our story and we get to tell it because he saves us from our brokenness, but he also saves us to the life that we're actually looking for in all those other ways that leave us still looking Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't just save us from our brokenness. He does. He saves us to the very life we're looking for. It's a life of blessing and hope and purpose and joy and peace and contentment. It's a good life. And it's a life that's yours and mine to have. And once we know this Savior, then we get to go and tell this story and to live it out. Because my friends, salvation is not escaping from this world. Salvation is engaging with it. What did Jesus do? He came to fix what was broken. That is what we do too. When we say we're called to mission, that's what that means. Is when Jesus becomes our Savior and he changes us from the inside out. Now we have a story to tell and we have a story to go live out to a world that is so desperately looking for saviors in all these empty, broken places when the only true savior is Jesus Christ. Some of you have legitimately asked and it's a question we should always ask because we want to be intentional and purposeful with the resources God has given us. Why do we invest so much in the Advent conspiracy? Why do we do a community Christmas party like we did this last weekend? Why do we put in wells of clean drinking water around the world? Why do we invest into mentoring relationships and all the things we do with our focus with Advent conspiracy? This is why, because of what Jesus has done for us. He is redeeming this world and he calls us to join him in doing that. And in my own reading, I ran across this in Matthew and was reminded of this once again. Does this ring a bell with what happened these last couple days? For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. What did we just do with the Advent community Christmas party? Who said this? Jesus said this. And then it goes on to say, and the righteous will say, when did we do this for you, Lord? We didn't know it was you. And he said, anytime you did this for anyone who needed it, you were doing it for me. My friends, this is not to pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, look how great we are. Absolutely not. That's not what this is about at all. This is about a God who has blessed us and he has blessed us in order to be a blessing to others. And therefore, we've tried to live that out. And this community Christmas party is one of the ways throughout the course of the year we look to do this. I could tell you more and more stories, but I'd rather show you the story. So here's some images and pictures from this last weekend. And as we just sang, we, we love him. Really, because he, he first loved us. One of the verses that I'm currently memorizing is out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. It's familiar, I know, to at least some of you. But it's just such an awesome verse. And it captures what we've talked about here this morning. 1 Timothy 4.10. This is why we labor and strive. Because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Salvation is a one-time thing, and it's an ongoing thing. Salvation is a gift from Jesus in that it's something from him to us. And that verse really does describe what Jesus has done. He's died for the sins of the entire world. But this is only real if you receive it. I mean, it's just like a gift. You've got to open it and make it your own. And that's what salvation is. It's one thing to know about God. It's another to know him. And that only happens when you receive him into your life, just like opening a Christmas present. And in a gathering this size, there's probably at least someone here who hasn't yet done that. But it's, it's never too late in terms of this God coming to you and giving you chance after chance after chance to do that in this life. For those of you who were here, Pastor Bob's stepdad, 99 years of saying, there is no God, there is no God, and finally he realized, yeah, there's a God and he's my savior and I'm making him mine. 99 years for him to come to that point. This God will come after you and come after you and come after you because he wants to be with you and he's coming after you again. So what are you gonna do about it? How many times are you gonna say, man, I don't think so. No, you were so missing out. Don't let this opportunity go by. Please come talk to me. Talk to our prayer teams off to the side, the person who brought you. We would love to pray with you to receive the best gift you will ever receive in your life. And for those of us who do know him, salvation is an ongoing thing. And part of that process is reorienting our hearts to the one true Savior and to realize we're looking to our spouses or our jobs or our circumstances or other things in our life for something that they'll never be able to deliver and for needs they'll never be able to meet. Only Jesus is our Savior. So make sure he's yours before you leave here this morning. Let me pray with you. Jesus, thank you that you love us in the face of our brokenness, despite our brokenness. You love us. And you came to this world to seek us. And once again, you are seeking us this morning because you are the God who is with us, who wants to be with us. So Lord, I pray that no one would leave this place without knowing the one true God, 
by receiving you into their lives as their Savior. And for those of us who do know you, would we recalibrate, realign our hearts with yours once again and look to you to be our Savior and not anyone or anything else. Thank you that you are so good. You're so patient. You're so persistent and you are so loving and we thank you for it. And we love you. We go from here in the power of the Spirit to tell the story of what you have done for us and for this world. And it's in your name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.